great economic drivers going on in those in those areas. At one point in time, I did look at some secondary markets, but I will say with all of the Fed uh, interest rates raising, I just really kind of um, retracted back down to uh, my core. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. One quick into today's episode, we've recently put out a resource that I think you will find valuable. We all know the best learning lessons come from our mistakes, but what's even better than that is to learn those lessons from other people's mistakes. In our latest video series, I share some major missteps I've made as a real estate investor and how you can avoid falling into the same traps. To learn how to avoid these mistakes and save yourself time and money, go to upstreaminvestor.com forward slash mistake to find our latest video series. Once again, that's upstreaminvestor.com forward slash mistake. All right. Today, my guest is Sharon Riddle, originally started with single family and then transitioned to multifamily. She has vast experience as both an active and passive real estate investor. And today we're going to learn about the four main drivers of a successful real estate investment in any environment, which underwriting metrics passive investors must know for each deal, her top real estate investing markets, and advice for passive investors who are in deals that are experiencing challenges. All right. The time has come. I hope you enjoy this episode with Sharon Riddle. All right, Sharon. So, you know, you started in real estate, single family homes was how you got started in the investing side. And then almost about a decade ago, you you transitioned into multifamily, right? And so obviously you were bullish uh, on multifamily at that time. Let's fast forward to today. I know things are a little bit turbulent. How are you feeling about multifamily where we sit today? Okay. I am, um, I'm still feeling really strong regarding multifamily. I will say that I'm really just continuing to ratchet up some of the principles that we were using back in 2015, when we were first investing through syndication. And that's really that conservative underwriting. I think that really holds even truer now. Make sure that your general partners are strong asset managers. Mm. Because back in 2015, some people could be, well, they weren't just as strong in that area. Sure. And still were making some money. But now strong asset management as well as, um, you know, making sure that they they do have capital, you know, some additional capital, some additional reserves. <laughs> and uh, those are those are some things that I would really uh, highlight for individuals during this time and make sure those locations are really strong. Absolutely. Strong yeah. locations. These are huge points right here. So let's just dive in. Let's just start diving into some of these, right? So uh, underwriting, obviously critical right now, but you know, you started in single family back in 2005, right? And so underwriting was a little bit different there. And then you got into multifamily and things were being underwritten a certain way at that time. And obviously now, you know, we got to be a little bit more conservative, maybe when we back before, but walk us through that. So start us from where we've been, how you were doing single family, uh, underwriting those things, and then transition us to, you know, some of the things you're seeing today where people need to be very precautious and what you're seeing uh, GPs do at this time. Okay. Well, when we started out in single family, when we were doing, uh, when we were making acquisitions, uh, we were using a formula. It was a, it was a lot simpler uh, as far as the underwriting. Still, 
location was critical. We would not uh, make an acquisition if we didn't feel it was in a strong location. But fast forwarding through to uh, syndications and multifamily investing, um, you know, we, we have the analyzer. So even with some of the uh, deals that we're looking at to be uh, GPs with other partners on, uh, we have that tool and we have that through Sumrock community. So we go through uh, our whole analyzer and make sure we have conservative underwriting and, uh, and that's what I look for even in webinars with uh, with general partners, <laughs> just to uh, to see how conservative is their underwriting and go through the details. You know, not only the marketing and some of the things that uh, that the brokers give you through the OMs, the operating sure. memorandums, but uh, diving deeper into into those financials and into those projections. Are you seeing a lot? Yeah, I'm a data hound, so <laughs> I love it. I mean, you got to be, right? you got to be, and I love it. So, are you seeing uh, these days uh, the transition to really paying attention to like you know what GPs are doing in terms of rent growth assumptions, exit cap rates, stuff like that? Is these the type of things that you're looking for? And if so, are there any others? Uh, yeah, I am. I am really looking for that because there, are, um, some people are more optimistic as far as what uh, that exiting cap rate should be. And I like to be more conservative regarding that. And I will tell you that uh, Dan, my partner, and uh, one of our other partners, Mariana, we uh, we have discussions about those sorts of things because, uh, you know, we kind of have to have a little panel going yeah. on before we uh, bring some other uh, uh, other GPs into that. So, you know, get the basic premises, the basic strategy and business plan really together before we uh, really pitch that to some other general partners, bringing them into a deal. And that's what we did uh, on a Wiley property. Mm, okay. Yeah. I know that uh, for myself as a passive investor, uh, I've seen a few deals this year. Not Again, there hasn't been as many as there were, say, in the last couple no, of years. But uh, yeah, I've definitely passed on a few deals uh, because of the projected exit cap rate, because it just there wasn't enough there wasn't enough buffer there for me uh, to feel comfortable yeah. investing. Uh, yeah, we've done that we've done that before too. And then I will also say, uh, you've got the webinar, but also I would I would give the partners a call. Sure, great I mean, tip. Give them a call. Why are they so excited about that particular project? Mm -hmm. And I have asked that question many times. It's a great question to ask, you know, and I think that I think that having the ability to to ask those questions or maybe even the courage, because I think a lot of people don't do that. Right. And so I think uh, a lot of people are more passive and you don't have to be passive as a passive investor. You can yeah. be, you know, with, with 18 LP deals, I've been an active passive investor in the past. And I, I think uh, you have the right to uh, to be bold. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, you came in from single family and then you transitioned to multifamily and 18 deals as an L on the LP side is, is I mean, that's quite a bit of deals, right? And so um, was it your intent as you came into to the multifamily side to always be on the LP side or were you from day one, hey, we're going to use this as a tool to get to the GP side? Well, uh, we were thinking of being on the GP side. Okay. It's been a little longer getting there than we thought. However, in the very beginning, and I'll be very honest with you, uh, we wanted to see how it worked. Makes sense. I mean, we just really wanted to see how it worked. I mean, there was a there was all this promotion about it, 
I'd heard uh, really strong things about it from single family investors who had made the transition over, but uh, uh, what was it really all about? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge, right? Because it's kind of a mystery box until you dive into it, right? It could take years, yes. like you said, going to conferences, listening to podcasts, take, you know, taking in all the resources you possibly can, uh, but you're not really going to know until you do it, right? And that might seem a little strange to invest fifty thousand dollars or more into something as a, an experiment, you know. But uh, you got to take the plunge eventually, right? And so, well, it, it wasn't that far uh, far uh, fetched for me sure. because my background was actually also. Uh, financial and business analysis. Okay. So monthly reports to me uh, are are like the financials. Yeah. That I put together. I put together budgets, you know, for organizations. So uh, that wasn't a, a huge jump for me because yeah. that's the sort of stuff I like to look for because that's really what's keeping everything going because it's a business. It's like, what are the financials? I want to see what they're doing. And if if you have a question, then, of course, you can call the partners, call the general partners. And yep. I've done that many times, too. Good, good. I love to hear that. So let's talk about a little bit about, you know, we're talking about all this experience getting into multifamily, but you were doing single family before successfully. Why transition? You know, and then you guys went full time into multifamily, 18 passive deals. You're getting on the GP side. Like, what was the what was the spark there to, to get you moving in a different direction? Well, the spark was that uh, we were not able to buy to our formula. I said self-managed 10 properties to the max. I was going out with the realtor and we were giving offers, uh, going through all that. I even had, uh, I went to uh, Alan Cowgill uh, boot camp, and we learned how to work with private lenders. Mm. So we had people who were our bank. I wasn't constrained by loans. Sure. It's just we couldn't get enough volume, and that was that was the whole premise behind it. You could you could just because people were paying too much yeah. for houses, yep. uh, you know, even investors. I mean, they were I couldn't believe what they were paying for houses uh, way back like in uh, two thousand and eight. So that that was the that was the spark that got you guys transitioning into multi. Yeah, it was it was the you couldn't grow it exponentially, right? And, and uh, eventually, uh, you know, we wanted Dan to be able to retire from his aerospace company job, and uh, you know, it was, it was about the numbers. Uh, but we did have a single family mentor who did connect us with Brad Sumrock. Gotcha. We went to our first R to R for free, twenty fifteen. Because of Dennis Henson, I'll mention his name too. Because uh, you know, we learned a lot. We learned a lot from from Dennis as well uh, on the single family side in Arlington, Texas. And uh, you know, it's uh, it was all good. I mean, you just couldn't right. get to the number. I mean, it was just you know, you couldn't grow exponentially. And that we we were just blown away when we went to our first R to R because it's like, wow, we were thinking too small just too, too small. Yeah. So let's take that and run with it a little bit. You know, you mentioned that you weren't able to scale as much as you'd like to with a single family, but then also at the same time, your husband was looking to retire and you wanted to, you know, generate some sort of thing to compensate for that. Right. So what did that look like? What was your strategy going into past being an LP? Were you looking for cash flow? Were you looking for the equity multiple? What was, what was the play there? And were you able to achieve that throughout your 18 LP investments? Right. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, really, 
back in 2015, we kind of wanted everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You could you could kind of you could kind of do that. And uh, moving forward, uh, this is a little more challenging. I'm looking for uh, the on the exit strategy, the gain on the back end. Okay, yeah. But also, I will say uh, a couple of years ago, when, when you could really get that bonus depreciation, mm. because I am the real estate professional, okay, we can take cool. that tax advantage. So you've got the tax sheltering. And uh, and so that was kind of a new component that we hadn't even considered when we first uh, came into multifamily investing. Let's that was new that came up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's if you're OK with it, I kind of want to di- I didn't expect to this be a part of the conversation, but I would love to dive into this a little bit. Can you tell sure. us a little bit about that real estate professional designation? I think that can be huge for some people who can utilize that. Talk to us about, a little about your experience um, of you doing that, how it's benefited you, stuff like that. Okay. Well, you have to track your hours. So you have a certain amount of hours that you have to track. And I have a spreadsheet that I pull that in together. There are some individuals who do that, that they are a realtor as well as a real estate investor. I am a real estate investor, but I do track my hours as a real estate professional. Well, uh, we started out with this because see, even when I was self-managing single family homes, I was technically the real estate professional. Mm. But you didn't uh, have the same, you had a lot of carryover tax loss or gain. You didn't have that bonus depreciation. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, if you can do it and you don't have a second W-2 income job, then um, there's some tax benefit for you. And that's why Dan and I do that. He's still W-2 aerospace guy. You know, they pay him up, pay him pretty well for what he does on the technical side. And uh, I'm the real estate professional, so I can really uh, get us uh, more tax sheltering. And our our provision, CPAs and the bookkeeper kind of rule our life. I mean, we have our quarterly meetings with them and we need to, you know, we need to take a look and see uh, what we need to do to keep that zero or near zero tax goal in our various companies. I was just going to ask you, you know, um, for people who are hearing this and considering maybe, hey, maybe I could do this, uh, you know, go this route. How important is it to have a knowledgeable CPA on your side to handle that? It is so critical. I have been through, this is like the third um, CPA group I've been through. Okay, wow. Since 2005, because I told Dan way back when we were single family investing, I'm not doing any of this without a CPA. We're not doing all this on TurboTax. That's just kind of crazy. We're going to have CPAs to work with. But our last group, and we've been working with them since 2019, are knowledgeable on the real estate front. And we actually do have a tax strategist. It's not just somebody who's doing the tax preparation, which is really great. And we can afford to bring in through their network the um, the bookkeeper who's part of the team. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's they huge, do. right? Yeah. And, and this comes with experience, right? You guys have been doing this for a while and you've learned all the strategies. This isn't day one type stuff. So uh, newer investors need to definitely become educated and all that kind of stuff and, and these other strategies. But I think that if you are able to take advantage of a real estate professional designation, it could be massive for you. And I'm glad that it, you guys- it, it really it really can be massive for you. And I will say the, the way I learned about this opportunity was 
way back in 2019 at a mastermind. It was a okay. mastermind. That's how we brought in, uh, they brought in Robert Kiyosaki's CPA who had uh, an organizational franchise operation. And uh, that's how we learned about this. And it's like, wow, you know, that was another, wow, this is even better than we thought. Yeah, hundred percent. I, uh, I, uh, um, yeah, hopefully one day I'll be able to get that designation as well. So I can uh, definitely take advantage Pretty of sweet. it. It'd be sweet for you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 100%. So, you know, earlier we were talking a little bit about, um, what's going on in the market, what you're looking for in terms of, you know, being conservative and kind of how you're evaluating the landscape right now. Uh, you mentioned underwriting as being very important right now, obviously, uh, with, with all the stuff going on, um, with debt and pieces and, you know, um, mm -hmm. valuations being high and that gap between buyers and sellers still being there. Um, then you it's mentioned, there. yeah, it's definitely, definitely still there. Uh, and then you mess, me mentioned the importance of asset management. And I think I can attest to that in terms of if you have a bad asset manager or somebody who's not quite as capable as you'd like them to be, it can be very challenging, uh, to be in a project for five years, you know, uh, or maybe less because of that. Right. And so I think that's, that's going to be huge. You mentioned also reserves. How have you seen that you're, you're an investor in 18 deals. So I'm sure it's spread out across multiple sponsors. Have and, you and I've gone, and I've gone, uh, full cycle in more than half now. Man, that's beautiful. You got to love that. It's a sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. So the deals that are still active for you, um, are you seeing that each of those have good reserves? Is there, is there a variation between? Are you seeing the the deals with more reserves um, basically panning out better than the others? What's what's your what's your outlook on that? Well, it gives me um, stronger confidence because sure. if there is is a is a general partner group that they're they're strong on the asset management side, but also they've got the reserves and they personally have the reserves, then your risk of a capital call is diminished or your risk of a uh, pause in distributions is reduced That's because they were just, you know, you know, you're a passive investor. You know that your sponsors want to keep you hooked. They really do. Yeah. They want you to be with them multiple projects, just like I've been on with some of my sponsors, multiple sure. projects. Sure. And you pause the distribution, then, uh, you know, it's, it's, they don't like it. If you're a passive investor, you just don't like that very much. That's so true. And let me ask you, so, you know, we're talking about capital calls and, and pausing distributions. I think that's probably more prevalent now than it has been in, in a while, it, it right? Uh, let me ask you, uh, have you, do you have personal experience with that? And if so, how have you dealt with it? Okay. Well, I will say I have only, um, in over eight years, had one capital call. Okay. It was a, an investor group. It was an investor that I have been on multiple assets with. I knew they had reserves. And I had con I had uh, uh, really some confidence in adding additional capital. Gotcha for the capital call for for the asset to move forward. Uh, and and they they had to bring in a new uh, property manager. Mm. So there were some some other things going on, and uh, so I had confidence. And on on the back end of end of that, when that asset is sold. 
Uh, oh wow! They'll be fine, and I don't think that they're they're not going to be pausing distributions a super long time because, you know, they're experienced. They know how passive investors are, and yeah. they're going to want those crank back up. <laughs> absolutely, you're absolutely right there. And you know, I think this is a good segue into, you know, obviously we're in times of distress right now in certain areas in commercial real estate. Um, not all of them, right? But uh, definitely parts of um, some multifamily and. It remains to be seen if this is going to be a bloodbath, which I don't think it will be, but it may or may not be down the road. We'll see, right? Um, but you know, staying in this theme and considering your depth of knowledge and your years of experience on the LP side, do you have any maybe words of wisdom for newer LP investors whose first deals that they've they've just gotten into, you know, within the last year or two, are actually maybe in a little bit of trouble? Do you have any words of wisdom to uh, for them to maybe like calm their thoughts and stuff like that? Well, if if they're if they are experiencing some um distribution pause, you know, just uh, talk it through with the general partners. Mm. Really uh, take a look and see, are they reforecasting? I mean, what is going on with the business plan? Sure. And uh, I wouldn't be timid about doing that because I will tell you, there are some that I've done that with. Okay. Just recently, just in, just uh, in uh, 2023. 20, uh, Really? Because I've seen a little bit more of that. And I think it, some of that is because of those interest rate hikes. Mm -hmm. I think so. And, and there are some individuals. I am not in a any uh, any projects at this point in time that have bridge loans. Oh, okay. There have been some people who have been caught with the bridge loans and uh, they're, they're in a really tight spot. Sure. Yep. You're my, my bridge loans have uh, already gone full cycle. As wow. far as an investor. So, yeah. so, so, uh, Sharon, I want to be respectful of your time here, but I got to ask, you know, you mentioned you having some conversations in 2023 about this stuff, just to make sure the deals are on track, you know, and I think a lot of our listeners could, who are LPs, much like us, uh, could, could take a lot from that. Can you, can you maybe share with us what those conversations look like that you're having? You know, some of the questions that you're asking, I know it's different from deal to deal because the specifics it change, is. but if you could just maybe share some of that, I think uh, a lot of us could, could learn some lessons from it as well. Well, if there's some distribution pause, uh, I will ask. I will ask them to really explain what's going on on, on the property. Gotcha. You know, because I've I've had fires before on properties, mm -hmm. and they've turned out fine on the back end. Uh, in fact, one of my first properties that went full cycle in 30 months had a fire, and the and the uh, return was three times. Wow. Okay. That was back in 2015, you know, wow. 2016 timeframe. Sure. So that can happen. So uh, don't don't get all panicked about a fire. I will say, um, you know, any water is a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. I've had a project that that uh, when we had the big freeze in uh, in Texas, you know, they had some pipe burst. Like it was a lot, a lot of apartments. Yeah, and uh, that was super tough because the uh, partnership team were still fighting through the insurance. So fire, mm -hmm. strangely, strange as it sounds, is preferred over water. And uh, uh, also, um, you really have to uh, take a look and see if they're having some challenges in, uh, in the property management side of things. Are they changing out their property managers? Are they having to change out some asset uh, some lease staff, some leasing agents? Are they having to change out some regional managers? Did they think they were going to get the same regional manager that they had on another property? 
but it didn't happen on that particular property. So, uh, you know, kind of let them explain what's really going on because there can be some things going on on the property management side of things. Too. Yeah, I think that's huge. And those are, those are great, uh, pieces of wisdom to for us to hold on to because you know uh, if something does come up in these properties just because you might see a little bit of distress or something a little bit different than what was projected doesn't mean the the project's going to go completely south right and uh i've yet to i've yet to experience a, a capital call myself but uh you know that could happen next year you know with the way things are going so uh we're definitely keeping an eye out for that but i think uh for me personally you know seeing a a pause in distributions it's not the end of the world right like you said it you want to you want to follow up with the with the sponsor see what's going on and it might just be just a preservation tactic right just to make sure we can ride out the storm and uh, so i think it's 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 key to be able to communicate with those gp teams just like you're saying don't be afraid ask questions you know uh it's going to be beneficial for everybody, right? Because you can have the answers and you can be able to. And see Daniel, it. there's a there is a lot of cash cash preservation going on right now. You sure. and I know that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And you know, we've been we've been having this discussion about you know what's going on in today's market and um, kind of like the stuff you're looking out for, right? And one thing you did mention before we wrap up here is location and how important that is. It's always been important for you when you're in your single families, uh, in your LP investments, and then also you know as you move into the GP side. What are you excited about? Where are you seeing the opportunity right now in terms of market location? Well, I will say uh, I've been committed to what we refer to in, in the Sumac community as the Texas Triangle. Okay. So you're going to have Houston. I don't go everywhere in Houston. I have my, my <laughs> certain places in Houston, more Northeast Houston, and then Dallas and Fort Worth and San Antonio. Oh. And I have had, you know, uh, passive investments projects in in each of those areas uh so it's just uh, there's a lot of the population lives there there's a lot of growth that's where the growth is going there's where a lot of commerce is being conducted uh it's just uh, just a lot of great economic drivers going on in those in those areas at one point in time i did look at some secondary markets but I will say with all of the Fed uh, interest rates raising, I just really kind of uh, retracted back down to uh, my core. Well, and I think that's that's super important, right? Go where you know, right? <laughs> where you know and is. where you know those dr those economic drivers are the strongest in the state. Yeah, 100%. And those are great markets, right? I've also invested as an LP in those markets, uh, at least mm -hmm. a few of them. Um great areas, right? So I think that's, yep. that's, that's great. I love those markets. Um, so, you know, as we look out onto the horizon for you guys, for you and Dan, what are some of your objectives you're looking to achieve, say in the next six to 12 months as we roll into 2024? Right. Well, we are looking to move forward into a, a general partnership. So gotcha. we're doing a lot of branding regarding that, uh, have some partners we're working with, but you know, we're also being uh, cautious regarding the underwriting and we're still doing that. Uh, on on the general partner side of things. So, in fact, Dan has been underwriting three different projects. Uh, we were best and final in a project uh, in Wiley, Texas, pretty recently. But uh, you know, I knew the I knew the sponsorship team too. I knew how they managed the asset. So uh, I'm not as wild about going into something that I think is radically distressed mm. because you're going to have to be on the other side of that and, and uh, do a heavy, heavy uh, lift 
yeah. for, for the, on the capital. You're because you're gonna. Have, it's a turnaround. You're gonna have to have a turnaround property. You're gonna have to have a turnaround business plan. That's tough, you know, especially right now. Uh, um, you know, with uh, labor being so expensive, and you know, uh, a lot of risk uh, happening right now. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, that could be could be challenging, but. Uh, Totally understand. Well, good luck. I hope you guys, you know, land something on the GP side this year. Uh, we'll be following along uh, and watching you guys uh, kind of tackle that. But uh, Sharon, this has been a great conversation. How can listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Well, they can go to my website, which is www.excalibur. I'm going to spell that for everybody. E-X-C-A-L-I-B-R-E, Texas.com. That is one way. And uh, my contact information is going to be uh, on the website so they can find my cell phone number and, uh, you know, we'll, I will return, return their call and uh, I'm going to offer them uh, a uh, money for life call so they can talk to me just like you and I are talking on this podcast. Uh, I can talk to individuals regarding their, uh, their strategies on a multifamily side or some single family strategies too. But I, I I love talking to people. I talk to people all the time about uh, multifamily investing. I love it, Sharon. I highly encourage all the listeners, go talk to Sharon. She's got some good stuff going on. Uh, we're definitely going to be following along as well. And, and I am on Facebook and Instagram too. So <laughs> yeah, check 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 her out on social media. She's got all the stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm out there. I, I'd love to hear it. Uh, Sharon, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Daniel. I appreciate yours. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.